0: TELUS International Studios, where customer experience meets digital transformation.
1: And welcome back to TELUS International Studios, the podcast series where we meet the world's top companies and leaders in CX and deep dive into their customer experience, ethos and insights. I'm Patrick Hawhey and in the few years I have been hosting this series, I have had the privilege to meet the founders and CX leads of companies like Spotify, Nest Labs, Salesforce, Dropbox, Zappos and so many other global tech successes. So if this is your first time tuning into the series, I would strongly encourage you to check out our extensive back catalogue of interviews. And while you're there, please subscribe or follow. And if you like what you hear, give us a rating or a review. That'd be great, too. Now, the last few months have been incredibly difficult for so many companies as as they've tried to navigate the fallout of the COVID pandemic. But for so many technology companies, it has actually been an exceptionally busy period as the demand for their products and services have soared. One of those companies is Shopify, an e-commerce platform that allows businesses to start doing business online. With bricks and mortar units shutting down during COVID, the demand for Shopify's platform has rocketed as companies switch to operating online. Uh, And according to the recent FT Top 100 Companies report, Shopify's market cap has now soared to just over $51 billion. In this episode, I meet John Reardon, the Director of Support and Chairman of the Board at Shopify International, to talk about the rise and rise of e-commerce, how to continue to deliver world-class customer experience during times of sudden and intense demand, and why the remote working model applies perfectly to CX Delivery. And John kicks things off by describing what Shopify is all about.
0: TELUS International Studios, where customer experience meets digital transformation. Uh, Shopify is an e-commerce platform that enables pretty much anybody, anywhere in the world, to play in the e-commerce arena. So what we do is provide the best-in-class um, product and give anybody the opportunity at a very low uh, monthly cost to set up a, a business online and become the next um, essentially e-commerce goliath.
1: And well, you mentioned anyone all over the world, so you've got you have customers in literally countries across the globe.
0: Yes, yeah, we we support uh, every jurisdiction every type of, pretty much every type of company around the world. And for example, here in Ireland, uh, we would operate kind of, a, you know, probably eight or nine hours of the day, every day, um, in terms of the 24 hour clock. And we would, uh, serve all of the merchants around the world who connect with us via phone, chat, email, or to social media during that time frame um yeah so we cover pretty much every country as i said every country every jurisdiction every industry
1: and the founder of shopify is a really interesting guy. i remember he heard a really interesting interview with him on how i built this with guy raz i think it was um and just a, a genuinely fascinating guy who started small and who kept things very modest even as the company grew and grew and grew a really interesting business model and approach to business i think
0: Absolutely, and you know the, the interesting thing, you know, I, I joined three years ago, so I'd be much later in the day. but the, the, that founder's mentality still exists in the organization, and there's, there's a thirst for simplicity at every twist and turn in the road. And I think therein lies a part of the magic, keeping it really, really um, simple with the main focus being on how do we make e-commerce better for everyone.
1: And e-commerce in the last few months has just exploded. And I think there's companies all around the world who had digitization, who had sort of developing an e-commerce side to what they do in the plans, in the pipeline, but maybe in three, four five years time. But that accelerated and basically brought everything uh, back by three, four five years time, didn't it? Which must have been, made things very interesting for Shopify.
0: Yeah, I mean, so there, there are a variety of different industry numbers, so people can can argue about about a variety, you know, the, the different nuances. But roughly speaking, between kind of around 2007-8 two, two, to 2020, that 12-year time period, uh, e-commerce as a percentage of overall uh, retail accounted for, uh, started at about 5% and grew to about 15% of the overall retail pie. Um, what we saw in the first seven or eight weeks Um, of this COVID pandemic is that 15% rose to 25 to 30%. And that's an absolutely staggering cataclysmic, you know, level of growth where what we we saw in 12 to 15 years prior to that happened in the space of uh, six to eight weeks. And that's the kind of tectonic plate shift that has occurred. And it's quite jarring for a lot of businesses and a lot of companies. So to your point, there were many companies who had plans on the table of, uh, we will go to a, a digital platform, those plans suddenly got supercharged. And uh, that, of course, brought a ton of, uh, of interest in all things e-commerce. Every e-commerce pl- platform player was suddenly um, uh, extraordinarily busy.
1: So, okay, so what you touched on there is, you know, Shopify is not the only e-commerce platform out there. Of course, there's competition in the market. It's a very lucrative market. And I'm I'm kind of thinking when you talk there is when, when everything switched remote and teams had to, to communicate remotely, uh, kind of the default for a lot of people was Zoom because Zoom had, even though there's plenty of other players out there, Zoom had created something sort of easy and agnostic and something that was quite, you know, just they're easy to use and people could just switch it on. Would it be fair to say that Shopify was sort of the default platform of choice for many, many people for the same reasons?
0: Well, it, it was because, you know, number one, the barrier to entry was very low. For $29 a month, being able to have access to um, essentially all of the, the the major tools that would be required to set up a business. so. What, what Shopify had strived to do in the previous um, fourteen years of existence was to democratise e-commerce and make it available to anybody and everybody. So for a very low um, entry fee to be able to to get in the game, for want of a better description. And I think that that philosophy and that very simple approach to to uh, and having a low low bar of entry. Um, has been incredibly incredibly beneficial for us over the course of the last couple of months
1: so the last couple of months have been uh, you know it, 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 there's been huge success for shopify but the gr- the groundwork to that success had uh, was being laid for years and years and years this wasn't just something that happened uh, it was kind of the fruits of the labor paid off all of a sudden
0: absolutely um you know this the, the, the there's some very very some really simple pieces to this, um, you know, to give people a very simple way to, to get a domain, give people a very simple way to be able to attach a whole variety of different uh, marketing platforms and opportunities to provide a really simple um, and accessible checkout that's that's uh, frictionless and, and can move people through quickly to having a, a really strong uh, payment platform. All of these things, while you know, they now seem to pe- to people to be, you know, kind of simple and intuitive. It's taken a long time to distill it down to a level of simplicity where it just is almost unnoticed. And I think that's, again, that's, that's a, a really telling point is when it becomes... Um, when when something is not noticed any longer i think you've mastered the craft
1: such a great point a really really great point and one that applies to a, any product any service um and it's all about the user experience and you should you should not notice when you notice the when you notice the experience you're having then there's probably something happening but Shopify has been growing for quite some time now. So even pre-pandemic, uh, you guys were really starting to um, to kind of dominate this space globally up against some of the biggest players in the world and winning. So as director of support, you must have been having a really interesting and busy time already. And next thing, this huge spike comes along. How, is, how have things been for you uh, in your position?
0: It's been... Um... It's been thrilling, frightening, uh, engaging, invigorating, you name it, it's been every emotion, you know. Yeah. When the lockdown uh, really kind of manifested itself around about the, in and around kind of March 12th to 15, depending on which country you're in, whatever, um, we just suddenly, we saw like there had been an uptick in business and then we just saw essentially a kind of a tidal wave coming our direction. So, you know, you do a variety of different things. Um, when we try to mobilise people as quickly as possible. We uh, we brought on folks. Um, we we fast tracked folks who were in training. We had uh, we have uh, some of our, our partners. Um, we added some more people there. We tweaked some of our our offerings on our website in terms of our customer service offerings. Um, so that we would actually be able to deal with more people, we we um, have used chat um, a lot more, and chat's wonderful because of the fact that uh, you can deal with two or three customers at a time, and that was really helpful. Um, so you know you have to adapt your service offering, you have to do it really quickly. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is you have to be there for your customers. The challenge for us and for for many other players in the markets in the marketplace was that there were. There was a significantly larger number of customers and potential customers coming our direction so we were drinking from the fire hose
1: so the people who listen to this podcast in the main would be sort of cx leads directors of support like yourself for 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 large technology companies and um, like shopify so if you were to and and you know uh, hopefully the the plan always is that uh, they are going to see a similar spike in demand at some point because of the success of the company. And I guess there's always, you know, r- ramps in demand anyway on, on a seasonal basis. So from what you've learned over the last few months, what would be your sort of key advice in relation to how to handle and to thrive in periods where such a, de- a spike in demand is uh, coming your way?
0: Well, the first thing is is not to panic. Um, like I, I'm gonna use Black Friday as an example. Anybody who's got any involvement in the retail space We'll know what um, you know what happens in the ramp up towards the end of November, and then what happens over the the Black Friday Cyber Monday type weekend. But just imagine the scenario, and I think everybody will have it from a contingency perspective going forward. Imagine a scenario where that happens unannounced. Yeah. What do you do? And you know, I think in in the space that we're all in, one of the most important learnings that we have. Um, that we've gained over the last four or five months is um, we've survived it, but we need to also just do a proper retro now and work out what are, the, what are the thoughts, processes, and contingency plans that we need to have in place for when this happens again, whether it be a second wave, third wave, another surprise issue. These, This contingency planning must become so second nature to every company that they can uh, ride that wave when it happens, because it's an inevitability. And it's just smart business.
1: Well, it is. And one of those contingency plans, I think for a lot of companies, will be being able to switch their workforce from in-house to remote, to some sort of a remote or work from home model. And of course, Shopify has been operating this model um, for for many years now. Um, This must have really helped when it came to onboarding way more people than you had planned to. Uh, not not requiring them to be in a contact center or in, in a particular city. Uh, was this of benefit to Shopify in this time?
0: I'm going to bring the conversation back a couple of minutes. We talked about the kind of e-commerce and the change in e-commerce. The There's a really uh, clear, um, I suppose, parallel with what happened with remote work. We all believed that there was... The, we were going to see more and more remote remote work over the course of the next decade or more. So the percentage of people who were who, was, who were working remote was inching up on on an annual basis. What actually happened in March was we saw probably probably a twenty year gain in the number of people going to work remote. Wow. So again, this was a massive massive shift, and what that caused. Um, I mean, well, first, first of all, many of the people who are now in a, working in a remote environment weren't used to it. Now, all of the research that's been done on remote work over the course of the last 15 to 20 years indicate roughly the same thing. And then a lot of the, the research that's been done post-pandemic have have actually um, confirmed that. That so typically, you'll have 20 to 30% of people who say, I hate remote work, get me back to the office. You've got about 20 to 30% of folks who go this is the greatest thing since sliced bread and then in the middle you've got about 40 to 50 percent of people who go this is good I want a bit of both yeah so what's and that is that has happened in every every bit of research that I've seen over the course of the last couple of months has accentuated that point so what it means is the pessimist will look at it and say oh 70 to 80 percent of people are tuned into remote work. Or say the optimist will say, to, uh, you know, 70 to 80 percent are tuned into remote work. That's an opportunity. The pessimist will say, oh, you know, only 20 percent or 30 percent of people want to do this full time. And it all depends, from a management and a leadership perspective, um, what course of action you're going to take. And I think this is where a level of practicality needs to to come in. Every company in the world has seen. Um, very clearly, that there's a basket of jobs in their organization that can be done in a remote way, as in not in, a, a, in an office. The challenge will be to justify bringing those back into the office. And I think this is where the whole thing has been reversed. It's now a justification process to go back into the office, yeah. as opposed to an automatic, let's move back. Um, So therein lies the challenge and concern for companies. So, you know, it's kind of flipped now. And I think all of the chips are on a long, long career of uh, distributed work, particularly in the CX world, particularly in the knowledge industries. There are plenty of roles that can be done from outside of a, you know, let's call it a collective office. And to I think the, the issue now will be justifying those going back into the office because many people have got a taste for this whole concept of work from home and remote work and the ability to manage their own schedule, the ability to be more productive, to be able to be more involved in their community. It's a bigger eco play. It has so many incredibly enormous benefits that I don't think they're going to get unwound as quickly as uh, as anybody would have thought. It's going to be a very interesting next year, but there's so much more to play out in this.
1: Well, it really will. And the uh, you've been involved in customer support, customer experience world for a long, long time. Is Shopify the first company that you have worked with who, who has this sort of a fully remote model?
0: Well, I just want to correct you, correct you there. Shopify is an interesting uh, uh, example here because in the, Essentially, I'm going to divide Shopify into two groups. There was a customer support organization of a couple of thousand people who were fully remote. Yeah. And then there was the rest of the organization, you know, a couple of the bigger part of the organization, about 60 percent, very much focused on product development, uh, marketing, engineering, whatever, very much office based. But suddenly, early March, the company went, uh, as we call it, digital by default. So we've now gone completely remote. So you had essentially, I wouldn't say two competing cultures, but you had two groups of people, one who are so steeped in all things remote work, and you had another group of people who are just being essentially dipped into remote work, um, for many of them, not of their own volition, for most of them, not of their own volition. So we've had to learn from each other um, how to, how to um, I suppose, share uh, learnings and make sure that we uh, we, we get the best of the best for everybody because we're not going to go back to an old school um, office-based culture. We will still have office space in a variety of places in the world, but we'll, we're going to change the way in which we use that space. It will be more of a collection space rather than a physical place of work.
1: One of the big challenges for leaders in business is the company culture piece and making people feel connected and part of the one organization so that they can be at their most productive and feel like they belong. Um, How have you tried to achieve this and tried to keep a connected culture um, across your part of the organization, um, or at least that part that uh, is on a remote basis and a remote model?
0: Well, if you flip the question, Patrick, there's you could almost say there's an implication that one can't do it if you're not in an office. Okay, um, and I'm going to cite uh, an Irish company, near Form. Oh they're yeah, the company that Tremor. everybody nobody would have heard them really until a couple <laughs> of weeks ago. Yes, but now everybody knows them, and you you know they're the COVID nineteen app. This is a fully remote company, based in a, a Irish Irish owned and based company, with employees all around the world and fantastic company and people with a great culture and they literally never meet mm. except online now that is not strange any longer that is kind of the new norm and i think we all need to recognize that so so you know i've operated in in, in the shopify world now for for three and a half years the majority of people like i would see a lot of the people that i uh, my direct reports i would probably see them in person maybe twice a year at most that obviously in in, in 2020, it would probably be zero times, but it may well be a year or two or maybe even three before I see them again. It doesn't change the nature of the relationship because the business and working relationship that we have developed, it has been a fully online experience. And I talk to these people and they talk to me every single day and uh, uh, conducting business via video is, it's just second nature. It is absolutely second nature. And I think what we need to understand is the, the, the Gen Y and Gen Z folks who are coming into many of the, or who are essentially probably greater than 50% of the workforce now, very different dynamic. And these folks have grown up with uh, a lot more video content. They're much more comfortable with the technology. And I think we as a, a leadership group later on in our careers, need to lean back in to um, these generations and understand what makes them tick. And knowing people through video, knowing people's brand, let's say, through video and interacting is that's far more the norm than any of us in, in my generation would have been used to.
1: It's a very interesting point actually so it's it's not just about the now it's we're looking at the the future majority of the workforce and, and what they're comfortable with i think that's a really interesting way to look at it um final question in relation to the sort of you know, some of the, the benefits and the challenges of the, of the remote work model before I, I want to move on to a couple of other things but um are there challenges around the data the the sort of the technology at home when it comes to customer data somebody at home and somebody in a contact center, I guess they're in two very different places when it comes to the technology and the security of the technology and the, the sort of cyber environment in which they're working. Is that a challenge, or is that easily overcome by some simple, you know, enterprise software?
0: I, I don't view it as a challenge because the um, the threat is not the threat has nothing to do with the location of where the device is. As long as the device, as long as there's proper security on the device let's say, on a laptop, it doesn't matter whether somebody's sitting in an office in Dublin, whether they're in Belmullet, or whether they're in Vilnius in Lithuania. It makes no difference. And the ability for uh, an information security team or a tech ops team in any organization to have the correct protocols and to be able to to both uh, fire up a device and lock down a device at a moment's notice is what's important. So... I don't buy the fact that there's a, a, a security issue. And, and one of the reasons why I'd say that Patrick is that March the 12th lockdown announced or March the 13th, whatever it was, lockdown was announced. Um, there were many CEOs in Ireland and the UK and wherever who were told, who basically told their workforces very quickly, you need to go fully remote. Um, I doubt any of those CEOs uh, took a meeting with their InfoSec people and said, oh no, you're right, we can't do it. We can't do it, you're right, we can't do it. Because they had to do it. Yeah, And they found a way around it. And I think we need to recognize and understand that, that for the last five to 10 years, the type of um, issues that were sort of catastrophized were um, InfoSec, and I don't want to in any way minimize um, information security. It is a critical nat- critical aspect. But there's a, there's a manner in which it can be catastrophized to make it sound really a dangerous thing. Another one is health and safety. Oh, we can't do it because of health and safety. Very interesting, I haven't heard a single iteration or single word about, hmm. um, about health and safety in the first probably month uh, of the pandemic because there was a needs must situation. We had to get this done
1: it's a yeah, very interesting point actually when stuff has to get done uh, things move a lot quicker and uh, with a lot less friction have you been largely focused on smaller companies for many many years and now expanding into a sort of a more enterprise offering or or what way is it working at the moment
0: both uh you know the the shopify has always been available to all entrepreneurs and as we refer to them sometimes as one entrepreneurs anybody who wants to be an entrepreneur has access to the platform. And what's been quite interesting over the course of the last couple of months is that your uh, typical retail businesses who had to some extent issued an online presence suddenly had their physical presence shut down and had to be online. And Shopify was a very, and still is a very obvious platform for these folks to get up and running. I I mean, a a great example, two great examples in the UK would be, Heinz, you wouldn't exactly think Heinz would be a direct to, a direct to consumer company, but uh, Heinz came to Shopify and within three days. Heinz had a, a an e-commerce site. Another one would be Lind chocolate. Mm. So, so to 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 your point that yes, the, the 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 meat and potatoes for Shopify for a long time has been uh, the smaller uh, companies. However, the last couple of years with the um, uh, has seen a ton of incredibly large businesses coming to Shopify. So there's a huge enterprise play. We have a group in the organization called Shopify Plus, um, and that's the home of some enormous brands. You know, everything from uh, Kylie Cosmetics to Gymshark to Allbirds, et cetera. There's just some enormous companies around the world wow. that have grown up on on that platform. So we like to think that we're providing a product that's available for every aspect um, and every company and every size.
1: From your perspective, does that, has that meant a, a sort of a different customer experience strategy <clears throat> or has it meant a rapid evolution of what you had been doing, you know, basically are the two types of customers very, very different in terms of the what what they need and what you have to give them?
0: Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, we're, we're no different than any other industry or any other uh, business there's always going to be a stratification or a segmentation of how you provide service. So for example, uh, those, those companies, large companies that I mentioned who are on Shopify plus um, we would have a, a different uh, merchant support um, function for those merchants. than we would have for somebody who's, you know, just set up a a company making uh, you know, Making, I'm making scarves for cats, okay, <laughs> and is hoping that you know that's the business that's going to take off. You know, you have to have some level of stratification or segmentation in how you provide service, um, and we will, we will continue to to look at a variety of different ways to make sure we serve all markets.
1: One of my final questions, John. Uh, as I mentioned a little earlier, you have worked in this this area and customer experience for for quite some time with many different companies, and I guess slightly different differing roles as well. You've been in marketing as well, and maybe there's a relationship there. But what is it about customer experience, customer support that you love and that has kept you in the industry?
0: It goes down. It's actually um, like you said. I was I was in the I kind of grew up in the marketing arena and. A uh, a boss of mine about 15, 20 years ago called me into his office and said, you know, all the stuff that you're doing in marketing, like, you know, you're you're uh, pitching all these great ideas and you're promising this and promising that. And well, I was like, yeah, yeah. And we, we'd gone through, I was at Virgin Atlantic at the time, and we had some fantastic marketing campaigns. Yeah. He said, um, I now want you to be responsible for delivering those. <laughs> and i've never forgot that i've never forgotten the sheer feeling of panic for a couple of minutes going and then it was like oh okay well if i'm authentic about it i should have had i should have no fear because what i would have been involved in from a marketing arena um was pitching what we can and will deliver now i'm just responsible for delivering it and i've never for, i've never forgotten that that uh those couple of minutes of panic so it it sits with me both as an angel and a devil
1: interesting And, and of course when you do make that when you do flip that switch and start you know delivering on the promises that you've made you get to see the results and you get to enjoy those so that that fear is is repaid with a lot of fulfillment no doubt
0: yeah but one thing i will be very very clear about it's you know probably 12 to 15 years since i've had real serious exposure to the frontline customer support, as in uh, doing it myself or being involved. So there's literally thousands of people uh, involved in the organisation who do fantastic work every day, where their stock and trade is providing a both empathy and technical skill to every merchant, no matter where they are in their merchant journey. So they're the folks. Like my job really is to get out of the way. Yes. To be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And leave. Leave. The folks who are on the front line do their best work. It's no different to what we've seen in the pandemic. You know, it's not the minister for health that's doing anything; it's the the, the front line workers. And there, this there's the same the same analogy exists in business. So th- those of us in leadership roles need to know when to just disappear into the background.
1: Well, look, finally, on that note, Shopify is going from strength to strength. You know, you're developing suites of products. You're really competing at the highest level globally in, in e-commerce. As somebody responsible for the support function, how are you setting yourself up for those next few years? Because I think, you know, it's, it could be exhausting and it will be exhausting, I guess. So, so finally, how do, you, how do you keep it all sustainable? How do you keep your energy levels up? How do you make sure you don't burn out?
0: A combination of um, good, healthy dose of f- absolute fear and panic would be would be one healthy piece. Um, a level of optimism about the future. So you know, I look at it. You know, we're we're o- just over a million merchants now, but the to- total addressable market for us is literally millions of merchants. So let me just give an Irish example. Approximately 30% of businesses in Ireland have a working e-commerce. Um, have the ability to sell online. So 70% don't. And you take that number and you bring it across a lot of the other a lot of other countries in the world. You can see the size of the addressable market is massive. So for me and for the rest of the leadership team, it's recognizing and understanding that the when you're involved in a platform, you get the network effect. Mm. So if we are dealing with a million today, who knows it could be two, three, four million in really short order. And there's both a there's a massive incentive and, and a uh, feeling of, of of I suppose um, pride and joy that that's coming our direction and then there's a pure feeling of panic because yeah. in our space, in customer experience, one of the, one of our principal principal ways that we're, that we provide service is people and to mobilize that number of people that quickly, is a huge uh, challenge, but it's also a huge opportunity. Well, so yeah, a bit of panic um, and a bit of confidence. Nice
1: and cool mix, a nice cocktail. John Reardon, director of support at Shopify and also chairman of the board at Shopify International. It has been such a pleasure speaking with you, and thanks for joining us here in Telus International Studios today. Thanks, Patrick. And I really enjoyed that interview with John Reardon. And thanks to you for tuning in. We will be back with a new episode of TELUS International Studios very shortly. If you like what you hear, make sure to hit that subscribe button or follow button so that you do not miss an episode. And if you'd like to find out more about TELUS International and the global and disruptive brands with whom we work, check out telusinternational.com. Until the next episode, take care.